Hi there, I'm Travis, and this is the Why Is That Podcast. From this day forth, all the toilets in this kingdom shall be known as... Chums. Sing in me, muse, and through me tell the story of that man called the bulwark of the Greeks, the centaur trained, the fearless, strong, and powerful, the unconquered except by his own sorrow, who fell upon his sword outside the walls of Troy. Welcome back to the Why Is That Podcast. We all know that we are in for a mighty epic when we hear the words, Sing in me, muse. They are the immortal first words of the Odyssey by Homer. It was that great storyteller's way of asking for the power of the gods and the muses to help him weave his story to the best of his abilities. I copied his introduction format to describe another Homeric hero, Ajax the Greater. We will tell the story of Ajax a little bit later, and in doing so, explain how Ajax connects to the subject of today's episode. Before Ajax, though, I want you to imagine that you are at a small dinner party or get-together. The setting is a little above casual, and you can choose whether it is a restaurant, your house, or Neil Patrick Harris's house. You are enjoying yourself. The food is good, and the conversation is better. You're about to launch into one of your favorite anecdotes when one of the guests interrupts you by proclaiming, Hoofda, I gotta take a doozy of a deuce. Time to make my way to Browntown. Yeah, I'm saying I have to poop. That person then disappears towards the designated toilet. What do you do next? Do you continue with your favorite story? Or did things just get kind of awkward? I mean, to be honest, I felt kind of awkward saying it. And as I wrote this part of the episode, I was nervous that any listener who discovers my show on this episode will think that I'm some sort of gross weirdo. Although, if you think about it, is saying, I'm going to the restroom, really that much different from saying, I have to go pee? Both phrases are basically expressing the same concept. One just does it in a way that we consider more polite and less crude. For some reason, humans have developed a tendency to find certain biological functions to be quite gross and awkward. I'm sure there are some psychological reason for this, but if I had to guess, it would either have to do with the unpleasant smell elicited by said biological functions, or with an inherent insecurity caused by the act. After all, you are in a pretty precarious and defenseless position during the act. Today we have our robust locked doors to protect us, but that was not always the case. In order to avoid the awkward situation of our biological needs, we have developed some great euphemisms to refer to them in a more polite way. Bathroom, washroom, toilet, or even the old British loo are all great and popular options. We all know what goes on in the restroom, but that does not mean we want someone to tell us what they will be doing in there. Today we are going to explore where some of the most popular euphemisms come from and why it is that we use them. The first known toilets and sanitation systems were invented almost 5,000 years ago in the Indus Valley. Our understanding of two of the most ancient cities in the world, Mohanjo-Daro and Harappa, is still growing and we will likely never have a full understanding, but archaeological finds do point to elaborate draining systems and or latrines existing in these cities as they grew larger. I won't spend any further time on these two cities today elaborating on their early toilets as they do not really impact our present day hardware and they did not contribute in any way to our modern names, but I did want to point out that the first civilizations in the Indus Valley did have a rather sophisticated sanitation system and also set aside the toilet in a more secluded area that would seem very familiar to us today. 
It is this civilization that is believed to have first invented the flush toilet, and later Romans also had flush toilets, even if that technology was later either lost, forgotten, or just discarded, does not mean that humans did not have access to it long ago. Priam then caught sight of Ajax and asked, Who is that great and goodly warrior whose head and broad shoulders tower above the rest of the Argives? That, answered Helen, is huge Ajax, bulwark of the Achaeans. The previous quote is from Book 3 of the Iliad and depicts one of the first descriptions of Telamonian Ajax, also known as Ajax the Greater, and as we will not be mentioning the other Ajax, we will just call him Ajax. You are likely familiar with the Iliad, but just so that we are on the same page, it is the epic poem by the Greek storyteller Homer. It depicts the events that occurred during the 10th year of the Siege of Troy. It is called the Iliad, as the city of Troy was sometimes also known as Ilium, so Song of Troy would be Song of Ilium, or Iliad for short. Ajax was one of the great warlords of the Greeks. He is generally considered the second greatest fighter on the Greek side, second only to Achilles. He is the only hero in the epic who has a rampage described by Homer that was not inspired or assisted by an Olympian god. That is how awesome and mighty he was. Multiple times he is depicted as the only Greek who is able to hold off the Trojans from complete victory. As the Trojan War nears its end, the greatest hero of them all, Achilles, is killed by cowardly Paris with a single arrow shot through his Achilles tendon. Morally wounded, Achilles stumbled into the middle of the battlefield where the Trojans rushed forward to claim the body of the greatest Greek so that they could desecrate it while the Greeks rushed forward eager to save it so that Achilles can be given his proper burial rites next to his deceased beloved Patroclus. A massive battle ensues over the body, and it was only through Ajax's legendary skills that the Greeks were able to pull the body to safety. According to Greek Bronze Age culture, a warrior was not buried with his armor, and instead the armor was inherited by the most honorable of that warrior's friends. Achilles had God-made armor, the best in the world, and it was a highly sought-after prize. The honor society of the Greeks and the high place of Achilles meant that only a few even qualified for the armor. Ajax, bulwark of the Greeks, and the man who actually saved the body of Achilles, laid claim to the armor, but so did Odysseus. Odysseus, by all accounts, was not a great warrior for his battle skills, but rather for his wits and his wily brain. Usually a phenomenal prize like Achilles' armor would not be contested by two outstanding warriors like Odysseus and Ajax. Instead, it would usually just be one who would lay claim to the armor. So in this case, it fell to Agamemnon and the other Greek warlords to decide who deserved the armor more, who was the most honorable and worthy warlord. In the end, the warlords chose to award the armor to Odysseus. Due to the way the armor was awarded, this was a huge disgrace to Ajax. As Ajax flew into a rage, the goddess Athena literally turned it into a blind rage and made Ajax believe the sheep and cattle were the warlords who had dishonored him so that he would slay all of the animals. When Ajax's rage eventually abated, he was so disgraced and dishonored by the armor being awarded to Odysseus and the subsequent sheep slain that he realized he only had one course of action remaining. That course was to fall onto his own sword. Ajax committed suicide on the banks of Troy. As his blood nourished the ground below, a new plant grew in its place. This plant was the legacy of Ajax and grew as strong as the man himself. 
The tale of Ajax we have thus far retold is a brief summary of the tragedy of Ajax that is told by Homer, Sophocles, Pausanias, and in the lost little Iliad. We are going to pick up our story of the plant of Ajax, and it will soon start to make sense how that legacy connects with our topic. The source that I will be drawing on to tell this afterlife of Ajax is A New Discourse of a Stale Subjects, called The Metamorphosis of Ajax. It was published in the year 1596 by a man named John Harrington. Sir John Harrington claims to have used biblical and classical sources to tell a sort of narrative history about excrement and the disposal of sewage, along with touching on a few other subjects. We'll focus solely on Harrington's tale about Ajax before circling back to those other subjects. Cattle who ate the plant of Ajax grew large and were said to make for the best meat. The theory behind this was that the blood of Ajax had transferred his strength into the grass, and then that the grass transferred this strength into the largeness of the cattle, and that was transferred into its great and strong taste for its meat, which were all very positive things. Where it all went wrong was in the next part as the strength was transferred inside the human digestive system to the horrible smell of the uh, feces. This became a problem in the Middle Ages as the chamber pots of the day became very foul-smelling indeed. Sir John Harrington then describes a jump forward in time to his near-present day in France to the home of Monsieur Gargasset. On the property of Gargasset was a large patch of the Ajax plant where only the greatest horses were allowed to graze until one of Gargasset's sons ordered that the grass be mown and a large privy or outhouse be built upon the land. He was warned that he should not build upon the Ajax due to its amazing qualities, but Gargasset declares skite upon Ajax. Unfortunately, the curse released a curse upon the man, and he was forced to take an odyssey around the globe searching for a cure. He eventually finds one and returns home. In order to rectify his mistake, he orders his magnificent privy to be built elsewhere. In order to placate Ajax, he built a statue of Ajax within the privy, and forever onward, his associates associated Ajax with that privy. According to Harrington, it is this story that originated the designation of the outhouse in France as Ajax. Now you'll notice that that is pronounced Ajax, like J-A-K-E-S, but in France, either due to the accent or just the general French pronunciation of the word, Ajax is actually how they pronounce Ajax. I even found a rhyme in Ben Jonson's epigrams that pairs Sakes with Ajax. It reads as follows. In memory of which liquid deed, the city since hath raised a pyramid, and I could wish for their eternized sakes, my muse had plowed with his that sung Ajax. The authenticity of the legend provided by Harrington is not known. Perhaps Ajax really was the etymological root for why the French referred to outhouses as Ajax. Perhaps not. Unfortunately, we do not really know for certain. The online etymology dictionary identifies the proper name Jake as the inspiration for Jake's, meaning outhouse. But this is a word that we do not know absolutely. In the story, Harrington refers to outhouses repeatedly as privies. The term privy for an outhouse comes to English from the French word privé, which means private. So an outhouse called a privy is simply calling it a private place. Privy can be attested in English all the way back to 1225, so it will be the oldest of the words that we discuss today. Outhouse is a more modern name that I added to the story. It first started to be used by Americans in their early 1800s to simply designate that the private toilet 
was located outside and often shaped like a mini house, therefore outhouse. The house portion of outhouse might have grown out of the British custom of referring to the privies as the little house. So you may be asking yourself why I spend so much time telling the story of Ajax and introducing the metamorphosis when we do not even know if that was the actual origin for the outhouse being called Ajax. Well, two reasons. One, the most important other subject that Harrington introduced in his book was his new invention. His new invention is sometimes considered to be the first modern flush toilet. In honor of the supposed benefactor of the outhouse, Harrington proclaims that his new invention should forever be known as the Ajax. Ajax's book and invention would actually grow to be quite popular. Harrington was the godson of Queen Elizabeth I, and his popularity slash influence largely originated due to his association with the Queen. Queen Elizabeth would even have one of Harrington's Ajaxes installed at her residence, becoming the first Queen of England with a flush toilet. Harrington's Ajax toilet was revolutionary as it had a flush valve to let water out of the tank and a wash-down design to empty the bowl. It is today considered a forerunner to the modern flush toilet rather than the first flush toilet. The second reason that I spent so much time on Ajax is that it helps to explain a joke in Shakespeare that is often missed. One of Shakespeare's less popular comedies was called Love's Labor's Lost. In Act 5, Scene 2, the character Costard says to Sir Nathaniel, Oh, sir, you have overthrown Alessander the Conqueror. You will be scraped out of the painted cloth for this. Your lion that holds his poleaxe sitting on a close stool will be given to Ajax. He will be the ninth worthy, a conqueror, and a fear to speak. Run away for shame, Alessander. Did you catch the joke? Well, it is a Shakespearean pun. A close stool is a covered chamber pot enclosed in a wooden stool. Costard only mentions the close stool so that he can also pun on the name Ajax. One side of the pun is that Ajax is an outhouse. The other side of the pun is that Sir Nathaniel was being dishonored like Ajax. Pretty funny, I must say. Perhaps not break out loud laughing funny, but amusing in the way that puns are, especially given that it is the great Shakespeare making a poop joke. It is unknown if Shakespeare's pun is referencing Harrington's Ajax or the French Ajax. The play was published in Corto in 1598, but the title page makes it appear that it may have been a revision on an earlier play that may have first been written in 1595. As Harrington's book was published in 1596, it is more likely Shakespeare was referring to the French Ajax. If he was referencing the French Ajax, then it could lend credence to Harrington's claim that Ajax was the inspiration of the name. Although Ajax being the inspiration for Ajax could also just as easily have been folk etymology popular in 1590s London. As you are likely aware, we today do not refer to toilets as Ajaxes. This does not mean that Harrington's book and invention did not have a lasting impact on the name. If you will recall, Harrington's name is John Harrington. This is perhaps the most convincing etymology for why we sometimes refer to the toilet as the John. It was John's invention, John's Ajax, or just John for short. I personally really like this explanation. However, not all scholars are convinced. Some believe that John may have derived from the same place as Jake's, either from just a common man's name becoming the name for a toilet, or due to the close association between the names John, Jack, and Jake. 
Basically, people nicknamed the Jake A. John, and that somehow stuck while Jake became less popular. In Minnesota, we sometimes refer to outhouses as Jimmy's Johnny's, as our largest portable sanitation company is called Jimmy's Johnny's, and just about all of our portable outhouses have that name plastered on the door. So, John has always had a special place in my heart to refer to outhouses, even if John's might have originally been toilets. In the story, I mentioned the foul-smelling chamber pots. Chamber pots were small pots often shaped similarly to our modern toilet bowl, just without the little water basin. People would use them and then dump the contents outside so that inside the house would not smell like crap. Chamber pots is where we get our phrase potty. So next time you ask your dog or child if they have to go potty, you are keeping alive the fine tradition of using chamber pots that were popular throughout the medieval time period. The chamber pot is also a possible origin of another popular euphemism for the bathroom, or at least popular in the United Kingdom. It sometimes comes off as pretentious when an American or Canadian uses the phrase. That's right, I'm talking about the loo. Nip into the loo is a time-honored tradition in Britain. The etymologist Anatoly Lieberman, who is the author of the book Word Origins and How We Know Them, along with a great weekly blog, The Oxford Etymologist. He classified the loo as a hopeless word, meaning that it is a word where we have a lot of stories and theories about their etymology, but are missing a crucial link to definitively call one the correct option. One of the issues is that we do not know which social class the term originated with, as that would be very helpful figuring out which theory would be the most likely. That said, the theories we do have are super entertaining. If you have ever potty trained a child or are familiar with the process, then you know that we often use squatty potties to help the kid be more comfortable going to the bathroom than on the giant adult-sized toilets. After the kid takes care of business, we pick up the refuse receptacle and dump it into the regular toilet so that we can flush it away. Well, 450 years ago in Edinburgh, everyone was using the chamber pot, but did not have the option of dumping it into the toilet to get rid of the foul-smelling human waste. This resulted in the common practice of dumping the pots out each night. For those less well-off, this process was fairly straightforward. You just walk out your back door and dump it out, or you reach out the window of your single-story house and dump it down to the ground. For the wealthy, they often use the chamber pots upstairs. Well, I do not know if you have ever tried to carry a bucket full of water down a flight of stairs, but it is rather easy for it to slosh out and splash your feet. If that water were dirty water, or worse, that would be quite gross. The maids tasked with cleaning out the house chamber pots at the end of the night would instead dump the contents of the pot out the upstairs window. Obviously, it is best not to splash someone with poop and pee while they are walking by the house. So, before they would dump, they would shout out the phrase, Gardez-loo! This was a shortened term of the French phrase, Gardez-vous de l'eau, which translates to approximately, look out for the water. It would hold, then, that over time, the chamber pot became associated with the phrase, Gardez-loo. People eventually started to refer to the chamber pots as the Gardez-loo, and that over time was shortened to just the loo. The issue with this theory is that the loo seems to be a relatively recent addition to our lavatory lexicon. The earliest historical reference to a loo being a stand-in for toilet is the 1922 novel Ulysses by James Joyce. The popularity of the phrase then grew over the 1930s and was ingrained into British society no later than 1940. 
If Gardy Lou was the origin, then why did it take over 300 years to enter the historical record, especially when the chamber pot was being replaced throughout the 19th and early 20th century? Gardy Lou as origin just does not really fit the historical timeline. A related theory has also been identified. The phrase to make water is a common euphemism for urinating, and the French word for water is lou. Perhaps that is a connection. It would partially fit the time period too, as flush toilets became more common, the term water closet became a common phrase to refer to the bathroom. Could it be that that water closet and lou grew out of the same preference to refer to the room based on the water running through it, rather than the actions performed in it? Possibly. It has been suggested that the phrase water closet was connected to the town of Waterloo. Both have the word water in it, and what a great way to make fun of a town than by comparing it to a bathroom. Once Waterloo became associated with the water closet, the next development was to drop the water part and make it just loo. An issue with this theory is that as the water was the connection between the two words, it cannot really be explained why it was later dropped to make way for loo. It is more likely and more possible that Lou was developed first and that the pun on Waterloo happened after. That said, the online etymology dictionary does list the Waterloo explanation as the second most likely etymological route for Lou. The explanation the OED lists as the most likely is that Lou stems from the French phrase Lou d'essence, which translates literally as place of ease but meant lavatory in the same way our modern English term restroom means lavatory. The story goes that English servicemen assigned to France during World War I picked up the phrase from their French allies. When they returned to England, they shortened it to Lou, but due to English pronunciation, it was spelled as L-O-O. This would match with the timeline of the word growing in popularity after World War I, and fit nicely with our earlier mentioned first appearance on the historical record in 1922, given that World War I ended in 1919. Therefore, Lou d'Assance is the most accepted origin of the Lou. The English do love their French references. Other theories include that it may come from the German language. Lulu is German slang for piss, so it could be a simplification of that, or the German word for toilet is locus. The connection of water closet also works as the German word for closet is clue. It could also be a Latin bookish wordplay as the Latin ablu means I have washed off. These options are less likely as there is no known link between them besides us reading into them. All of that said, with the information we currently have, it is more likely to be one of the earlier options. In earlier examples, we have found that toilets and outhouses often become known by common names. We already discussed Jake's and John's. The Germans also refer to their toilets sometimes as Tante Lant, which means Aunt Lot. There even is a popular story that purports a similar etymology for Lou. Lady Louisa Anson hosted a party in Ireland, and her two young sons helped her prepare for the party. The sons thought it would be funny to place their mother's name card on the guest's toilet. It then became a great inside joke of all the high-born aristocrats at the party to refer to going to the lavatory as going to the Lady Lou. It is a great story. The problem with it is that it smacks of folk etymology, and there is no evidence of it actually happening. One would expect that as the party-goers were all of the upper classes, 
then we would have had a mention somewhere of the Lady Lou either in a newspaper article or from a personal letter between two of the nobles who attended the party. As of yet, no scholar has located a single reference to this story that would indicate an actual connection. For a male Lou, we have the story of Louis Bordeloup. In the 18th century, the fashion for French women was to wear incredibly large dresses, think in the style of Elizabeth Swan in the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. As you might imagine, it took a long time to get those dresses on, and perhaps an even longer time to get them off. Naturally, this meant that it was practically impossible for the high-fashion women of the time to get undressed enough to relieve themselves in the Lou de Assaults. Biological functions, though, do not wait for fashion, and an alternate solution had to be found for the women. That solution was a sort of portable chamber pot that was called the Bordeloup. The Bordeloup was made of china, tin, or leather, and would fit under the dress where the women would be able to relieve themselves while standing. It is rumored that the name Bordeloup was inspired by the Jesuit preacher Louis Bordeloup. Bordeloup was known for his incredibly long, yet engaging, sermons. It is said that these sermons were so incredibly long that women began to bring chamber pots to church so that they could relieve themselves halfway through the sermon. The portable pots were then named in his honor. As the Bordeloups grew in popularity in France, the phrase migrated across the channel to England. The English thought the name was too long, so they decided to abbreviate it. With the name Louis Bordeloup, they had the ability to abbreviate to Lou, either through the first name or with the ending of the last name, Louis Bordeloup. It is quite the convenient shortening. The issue with this theory is that we have found no link that would explain an 18th century French phrase for chamber pot migrating to a 20th century English word for the lavatory. The connection between the preacher and the Bordeloup is actually also tenuous. An alternate etymology would be an earlier French word meaning filth or refuse. Either way, it is not widely believed that the Bordeloup had any hand in the creation of our term, the Lou. So unfortunately for the Lou, we do not know the etymology for sure. Our words bathroom, washroom, and restroom are all fairly self-explanatory. Bathroom became the accepted term in the late 18th century when indoor baths and toilets started to share the same room as it was more polite to refer to the bath than to the toilet. Washrooms follows in the same noble tradition of the lavatory. Lavatory originated as a word that meant a vessel for washing in the 14th century. Lavatrina was a Latin word for bath and provides the origin of the term. Lavatrina is also the forerunner to the term latrine. By 1656, lavatory had come to mean a place for washing, and when a place for washing also inhabited the same place for urinating, it became natural to refer to the bathroom as the lavatory. Lavatory is sometimes seen as a very formal term for the bathroom in North America and more often refers to public toilets in British English. The abbreviation LAV has become rather popular and the less formal washroom has also largely replaced the use of lavatory. Restroom first started to be used as a term for a room used solely for rest and relaxation in the 1850s. It later adapted to the term of a public bathroom it is not exactly clear how the change occurred, but as previously discussed with Les Deessons, a place of ease had a strong correlation with the toilet from an early time. Perhaps the simple action of sitting down on the toilet brought to mind resting, and the change just occurred naturally. 
hitting the head or referring to a toilet as the head was first used by sailors. The bow or front part of the ship is sometimes referred to as the head given that it is the top of the ship. When sailing through the ocean, a ship naturally bobs up and down as it makes its way across the waves. The ocean water splashes into the bow of the ship and then washes away again. Sailors have a notorious reputation as being not the cleanliest of individuals, and the job of cleaning the decks was often the worst job. Cleaning a toilet used by all of those men would have been an absolutely disgusting job. A solution was found by putting the toilet at the head of the ship with the toilet seat placed just slightly above the water line with a receptacle underneath. Slots would then be cut into the receptacle where the waste was dropped. The ocean water would wash into the receptacle and then wash the waste back out as the waves naturally brought the ship up and down. The craftspeople's favorite toilet term to discuss is the crapper. Two options are provided for the origin of the phrase. The boring story is the word crap existed long before our modern understanding of the crapper. Crap is a Middle English word that most often meant chaff or buckwheat and later something of poor quality or rubbish. It came from one, a combination or all, of the Old French crap and Medieval Latin crappe, which meant chaff, and the Old Dutch krappen, which meant to cut or pluck off. In that way, the non-feces-related version of our word crap dates back to this usage. It is unknown when the word crap first came to also be used to refer to bodily waste, but it happened at least by the 1840s. Swell's Night Guides was an illustrated guidebook for the fashionable Man About Time that was published in the 1830s and 1840s. The 1846 edition contained the following. Where's the plant, Coley? Fenced in a dunnikin. What? Fenced in a crapping ken. The crapping ken was an outhouse. Therefore, crap and crapping were known terms to refer to human waste no later than 1846. It is possible that from the name crapping ken, people eventually started to use the phrase the crapper instead. The more popular and exciting story includes the famous Thomas Crapper. Thomas Crapper lived from 1836 to 1904 and was an English plumber. He held nine patents for his improvements on the water closet. Contrary to popular belief, he did not invent the flushing toilet and instead only created innovations to existing models, including the important U-bend that replaced the old S-bend. Thomas apprenticed with his master plumber brother and then opened his own company in 1861. His sanitation firm was Thomas Crapper & Co. Limited. The firm grew to be one of the most successful in England. It earned several royal warrants from King Edward VII and King George V. The company emblazoned their name on each of the toilets they installed. After Thomas's death, the firm remained successful after it passed to his nephew George. During World War I, many American servicemen were stationed in England at various points in the war. It did not take long for those Americans to notice that the name Crapper was emblazoned on many of the toilets throughout the country. It became a great joke amongst the men to tell each other that they were headed to the Crapper whenever they had to use the restroom. After the war, they returned to the United States and the term gained popularity back home. If the Thomas Crapper and the American serviceman story is true, it is likely that the popularity of the term was helped by the previously known definition of crap as human excrement. Kind of one of those ways that seeing someone with the last name but is funny 
except that the place that you get to go crap has the name crapper that is on it. That is just hilarious. The final term that we are going to explore is the most widespread of them all, the toilet. One of the phrases I always learn anytime I travel is, where's the bathroom? If you ever find yourself somewhere and you did not learn that all-important phrase, your best bet is probably to ask for the toilet. It will definitely be understood in all English-speaking countries. The French even use the term toilette, so toilet is your best bet, even if it is considered not so polite in many cultures. The answer for how toilet came to dominate the name for the flushing toilet is partially connected to the term toiletries. If you will notice, toiletries have very little to do with the flushing appliance. Toiletries instead are articles used in washing and taking care of one's body, such as soap, shampoo, and toothpaste. All of these items are associated with washing oneself, and in that way there is a connection between toilet and the previously discussed washroom, bathroom, and lavatory. The English word toilet comes from the French word toilette, and is attested to by 1540. It was a loan word that initially referred to the little towel or cloth that was draped across one's shoulders while they were having their hair cut. Metonymy is the process in which a thing or concept is referred to by the name of an associated thing or concept. For instance, instead of telling someone that you are listening, you might say, I'm all ears. In the case of the toilet, the little cloth came to be associated with grooming in general, and by the late 17th century, it was common to refer to your time sitting at the grooming table as your time on the toilet. As the sanitation system developed, many people moved their grooming table, or their toilet, into the room where their new water closet was located. This is still true today as our vanities and sinks are located right next to our toilets. A full bathroom is even described as a bathtub, shower, toilet, and sink slash vanity. A three-quarter bathroom is minus the bathtub, and a half bathroom is just the vanity slash sink and toilet. In all cases, the toilet comes with a place to wash, and if needed, to groom. Related to the half bathroom concept is the phrase the powder room. Powder room became popular in the United States in the 1920s to mean a half bathroom, as it was a place where you could refresh your powder slash makeup, but not take a bath. It does not appear to have anything to do with the earlier custom of powdering one's wig because of the gap in time between the two uses. Grooming rooms became more common, and by 1819, they were definitely known as toilets. Close friends would even make toilet calls where they would come into the grooming room while someone was doing their hair. The euphemism I described above started as the flush toilet became a fixture in more and more houses. Once the euphemism of going to the toilet had fully come into force, it gradually started to be associated with the plumbing fixture itself. The old terms of Ajax, Johns, Jakes, chamber pots, and the like just did not fit this new fixture. The toilet euphemism and connection started to be more popular than all the others, and as global English markets started to grow more integrated, it made sense to try to find a single term to apply to this plumbing fixture. Over the course of the 20th century, the toilet as a fixture and toilet as a room referring to the fixture largely replaced the earlier grooming designation. The only vestige of that old practice is in our modern use of the term toiletries. If you go to a home improvement store, you will find that the plumbing fixtures are almost universally known as toilets. American Standard, for instance, was the largest manufacturer of plumbing fixtures in America and referred to them as toilets a custom that Lixel 
has continued since it purchased the company in 2013, and fellow Japanese firm Toto, who is the current largest toilet manufacturing company in the world, also refers to them as toilets. Some higher-priced toilet manufacturers like to distance themselves from the word toilet as they feel that it has lower-class connotations. As a result, firms like Kohler refer to their fixtures as commodes or water closets instead. Okay, that does it for our episode today. I hope that the next time you are at a dinner party and getting ready to excuse yourself, this episode is able to help you select the best euphemism to avoid any awkward moments. Anyways, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Why Is That Podcast. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app, such as Acast, Podcast Republic, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, or wherever else podcasts are streamed. Before we go, I do have just one quick announcement. Our next episode is going to be out in three weeks rather than the usual two. So I'll see you back in three weeks, and until next time, cheers.